Take that! This is Hunting Humbug 101 with me, Theo Clark. This is a rebroadcast of an original episode first recorded with my father, Jeff Clark. Welcome to Hunting Humbug 101 with me, Theo Clark, and I'm joined, as usual, with my dad, Jeff. Hey, Dad, how are you? Hi, Theo. Well, thanks. Um, so, in this podcast, we're going to look at a fallacy called the slippery slope. It starts. Okay, slippery slope can be otherwise described as uh, thin end of the wedge or Trojan horse. In our description, the slippery slope fallacy assumes without evidence that if we take a particular step which in itself doesn't cause a problem, it's nevertheless the first in a series of steps that will lead inevitably to some undesired outcome. This fallacy in reasoning is often called the thin end of the wedge argument. An example might be the view that if marijuana is decriminalised, then this will inevitably lead to decriminalisation of harder drugs. Or, if we allow simulated depictions of sex on TV after 9.30pm, it won't be long before such things are depicted early in the evening when young children are watching. While this view is technically flawed, that is, not based on direct evidence, dismissing such concerns as necessarily without foundation would be problematic, as experience suggests that communities, nation-states or civilizations may sometimes be incapable of recognising and responding in a timely way to incremental adverse change. Example Jean Toadstrangler is a spokesperson on public affairs for the Church of Chastisement. He's been asked by the editor of the Daily Drumbeat, a small regional newspaper, to to write an article on a bill before State Parliament on the rights of the child, safety and security. Among his remarks is the following statement. At the moment, the proposed legislation states that parents are not allowed to assault their children with a heavy object. This is something we would all agree with. But the problem with such legislation is that it won't stop there. Once this is passed, it will give impetus to do-gooders who will be encouraged to remove all rights to parents to discipline their children. Comment. Jean is in the paradoxical position here of seeking to argue against a proposition that he actually believes in. He believes that parents should not be allowed to belabor children with a solid object. But he doesn't want the legislation because legislation which might follow might go too far. Gene would be well advised to clearly define for himself just what level of punishment should be available to parents in chastising children. He should then develop as clear a case as possible for reserving the right to punish at that level. Following this, he could then point out that although the current legislation is acceptable to him, There is a widely recognised tendency for crossing lines drawn in the sand. He could argue that the community as a whole should be alert to possible further shifts in the levels of correction available to parents. When such a shift occurs, he can then vigorously oppose that further shift from a credible standpoint. The slippery slope is a widely recognised and documented fallacy in informal logic. 
However, it is often the case that accusations by an opponent that the advocate is employing the slippery slope fallacy are unwarranted. Sometimes individuals who simply wish to halt an incremental change at a particular point will present a rational case for their position. For example, an advocate may argue against cloning as a solution for human infertility on the grounds that cloning itself is undesirable for various reasons. Further, that once the technology for safe and effective human cloning is developed, elective cloning is likely to follow. An accusation that the advocate has made an unjustified use of the slippery slope argument in the latter proposition may not be warranted. If, for example, the advocate can illustrate and support his or her case with parallel examples uh, where technological developments have outpaced ethical controls, then he or she is likely to be a seeker after truth rather than an emotionally driven alarmist. On the other hand, when people who lack the mature judgment of the authors venture onto a slippery slope, they will inevitably wallow in ever more bizarre misconceptions and fallacious reasoning until we end up with nothing but gibberish and finally the complete destruction of civilization as we know it. Okay, so that was our take on the slippery slope fallacy. Um, so please be careful. We don't want to end civilization. Uh, now, I think that's the important, most important bit to really get about the slippery slope is there really are um, two different flavors of it. And one is the actual fallacy and one is potentially a legitimate argument. So the fallacy uh, essentially is when you're not really giving any evidence that it's going to end up at that inevitable point. So I blogged on this uh, on the website, and, and the way I put it was, given uh, we accept A, it follows that B will inevitably occur, and that's stated as a fact without any, injusti any justification. So event A occurs, which itself we don't really worry about, but A is going to cause a series of steps that lead to B, and B being the undesirable outcome. So unless there's any evidence in terms of linking A to B in the form of you know, causal links, then it's incorrect to say that A would definitely cause B. But if you uh, have a historical argument for it where you say, you know, event A, yep, not a concern, and while it won't definitely lead to event B, which is the concern, we think B is more likely to occur and occur, and we base that on the past event where that has also occurred. So, for example, you could pick another historical type place where that's happened and it's essentially the same kind of thing. So the examples we talked about there were those ethical, um, where the technology outpaces the ethics. Uh, but, it, you know, you're treading on dangerous ground if you're doing that. But the main thing is you've got to make sure also that those examples are similar and you're not just using a false analogy too. Uh, my point about the slippery slope fallacy is in, in, in the hurly-burly of an argument, it's often difficult to sit back and reflect on you know, just whether the person's using the slippery slope as um, a, a shallow argument with no merit or whether there's something in it. I, I would ask for time. If, if, if I were being subjected to what I thought might be a slippery slope argument, I would, um, as the person engaged in a discussion, say to the person who was making the point, um, it seems to me that there's a possibility that you're engaging in a slippery slope fallacy when you say that. Um, I'd need to hear more and make my mind up on whether you have a valid point or not. So there's nothing wrong in an argument with 
uh, asking for more time, asking for reflection time, and asking the person presenting the argument to validate their argument by using um, other perspectives, other points of view, further argument. And I think that can be done in a way that doesn't inflame the argument. It can be done in a sincere way. And often you need that time. I, I, I myself, um, and this will surprise many of you, I, I come across as a person who immediately knows when somebody is uh, engaging in bullshit. That actually surprised me that you think you come across that way. Well, I, I've hidden that talent from you oh, as my son. Because you're a very I, good actor then. I, I, I didn't want you to feel inadequate. Um, otherwise, you wouldn't have participated in these. Well, uh, it worked very well because I certainly yeah, don't feel yeah. inadequate around you. But, but our listeners probably, and don't forget, <laughs> our listeners are not probably as bright as we are. Well, but that, but that's that's a, that's an assumption we can make. But sure. but it, it it often comes across that I know immediately whether somebody's using something fallaciously or not. But in practice, um, I sometimes don't, and sometimes on mature reflection, it might be days after an argument. I think back to an argument, and I think back, my God, that idiot was right. <laughs> Uh, the important thing to remember is never to contact that person again and never to admit that they were right. It's not good for them. It's that, That's similar to when you think of um, a comeback to an argument a couple of days later. It's really not a good idea to go back and like go, nuh-uh, you know, you look like an idiot. Yeah, it's, it's always best to do something like that, their tyres down or kick yeah, the yeah, car. Yeah. Um, because then you have revenge, but they don't know who did it. It's like on The Simpsons when uh, Marge is being usurped by the, 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 the college student, Becky. And you're like, what a, that's what I should have said to her? Shut up, Becky! <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. <laughs> um, yeah, so let's just have a listen to uh, one example I got um, of, uh, I found of someone invoking a slippery slope. It's our good old friend Joe the Plumber when he was being interviewed about his take on uh, the fact that he said, you know, that Obama wanted to tax people earning over 250000 and it was pointed out to him that he's earning about 50000 or not even that much, so why does he care? And then he explains why he cares by pulling out a slippery slope. Well, I just want to ask you now about the issue that was raised, because it's been a little confusing to me as I tried, tried to sort it out here. Uh, to, get, to get straight here, you're not taking home $250,000 now, am I right? No, no, not even close. And you were asking no, about the prospect, the hope that someday you would make $250,000, and you were saying you didn't want that to be taxed? Well, exactly. Exactly. I mean, uh, not that I don't want to be taxed. You have to be taxed, but uh, to uh, just because you work a little harder to have a little bit more money taken from you, I mean, that that's scary. Uh, you know, as opposed to other people, I worked hard for it. Why should I be taxed more than other people? Well, if if people making two hundred fifty thousand dollars should not be taxed additionally, it's, by the way, it's a three percent from thirty six percent to thirty nine percent under Senator yeah. Obama's plan. If those people should not be taxed additionally. Uh, even though they're in the top 5% of America, what about people who make a million dollars or five million dollars? Well, I mean, quite honestly, why should they be penalized for being successful? I mean, that's what you're telling me, uh, or that's what it sounds like you're saying. Uh, that's wrong. I mean, because you're successful, you have to pay more than everybody else? I mean, we all live in this country. I mean, that was, you know, it's a basic right. 
and Obama wants to take that basic right and uh, penalize me for it is what it comes down to. I mean, that's a very socialist uh, view, and that's just uh, it's incredibly wrong. I mean, if it, if it, you know, $250,000 now, what if he decides, well, you know, $150,000, you're pretty rich, too. Let's go ahead and lower it again. You know, it's a slippery slope. Um, when's it going to stop? Okay, so that was Joe the Plumber pulling out the old slippery slope. He even actually said it's a slippery slope. And the point there is he that was a fallacy because he just made, just pulled it out, you know. Uh, what, where's he going to stop? Well, he explained where he's going to stop. He had an outline tax package, and you would then... You know, you're going to disagree with that on other grounds, fine. But to say, oh, then it's going to move down, well, it's like, well, they already... Ha- I'm assuming... I don't know enough about US tax, but I assume you have different tax brackets for different taxpayers. The way we, we certainly do in Australia, where if you earn more money, you um, pay different levels of tax at each increment. Um, and that gets shifted around, depending on how the economy's going, blah, blah, blah. Um, but he literally says it's a slippery slope and it's without a doubt a fallacy in that particular case, the example he uses there. Uh, the, the, the other point to mention is that um, yeah, that's a one-dimensional slippery slope. It has to do with tax tax scales and that kind of stuff, whereas uh, <clears throat> Obama's potential activities are, are legion and he, he can do anything he likes at, at at very little notice. Uh, I, I saw on The Onion, uh, even today, that Obama is now interviewing, and they're lining up as we speak, Obama is about to interview every American worker in order to assess them and to do an, to do an annual review. He's interviewing every American worker every year. What a proactive president. And he's going to make a judgment about whether they're doing an effective job. <laughs> Now, that was on The Onion, which... America's is, finest it, news source. It is the finest news source anywhere. It is marginally not as good as our blog, but it, it, it really get it. We, we don't have the power to, in, to do investigative journalism. The way they do. And there's a, there's a photograph there in The Onion today, as we speak, of workers lining up, tradespeople, business workers... Wealthy people, poor people, Doing performance lining reviews. up, awesome. being interviewed by Obama, and getting their performance review. That's and, good management. And that that is hands on. That is hands on. That is micromanagement. And I, I just have to take my hat up off to the man. No wonder he can't do anything about the um, Iran the protesters uh, <laughs> being shot in Iran. <clears throat> he's he's got to. It's a, it, America first has to be fixed. And I think this is just amazing. Um, all right, now being serious. Uh, no, the, the um, in a, in a, in a ser- uh, the, the other point with that clip is also note the use of weasel words, so uh, penalising you when you're getting taxed, so um, to frame the needed way, and then talking about socialism again as usual. So, yeah, it's certainly uh, pulling out the old fallacies there, Joe the Plumber. Talk about a, another accidental 15 minutes of fame right there. Um, now another thing to work, we should talk about is the other one of the other terms for slippery slope is the thin end of the wedge, and the Discovery Institute, which is the um, think tank for basically trying to push intelligent design um, in the US and also throughout the world, um, it, uh, they had a document called the Wedge Document or the Wedge Strategy, um, it, 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 which got leaked uh, probably a few years ago now, 
Um, and so that's a specific example where they del- have an actual plan to try and get a slippery slope to push um, their agenda into the American culture um, and probably the, the US culture, sorry, the world culture as well. And the whole idea was it to, um, it, it had a, you know, you look up on the Wikipedia, that's where I'm looking it up now, but they had a broad social, political and academic agenda, which is basically to defeat scientific materialism, um, in particular as it's represented by um, evolution. And they had their whole, you know, small steps along the way to get to their agenda. So it's like having a five-year plan or a ten-year plan where you know you're not going to make that change overnight, but you do these incremental changes and the changes occur before um, people even realise that's happening. Of course, in the US there's a lot of, um, you know, to and froing and battles occurring all the time in terms of teaching evolution versus teaching um, creationism, which is what intelligent design is. Uh, so the, it can actually be a deliberate tactic where you are actually have a plan of how you want to, in, where you want to see an organisation go, you can look at what are the small steps we need to move there. And so they even called it the wedge document. Probably not a good idea in hindsight, things that got leaked. Uh, Theo, just to clear up some uh, some some confusion that some of our listeners may have, um, there there is a subculture within Australia. Uh, I won't go into too much detail. The subculture is usually found uh, around toilet box in parks at night. And they, they have an expression, I believe, uh, thin end of the wedgie. <laughs> and um, I, I don't want to go into details there, but it's not the same as thin end of the wedgie. No, it's not. It's it quite different. I unfortunately made that mistake one night. Someone said, oh, do you want to talk about thin end of the wedgie? And I said, yeah, I'll talk about fallacies with you. And anyway, I don't want to go into details. My no, therapist, no, it's, it's, my it's, therapist says actually it's not good to talk about it's it. It's not good to talk about no, it. No, he said it's a myth. Okay. All right. Um, that's it. That's all I've got up for Slippery Slope. Uh now, we had a question from Steve from the USA, and it was such a great... He phrased it so well, I thought we need to talk about it on the podcast. And his question was, what the gosh darn... I mean, I should, should I try an American accent? I, I can't no, do no. American accent. <laughs> what the gosh darn heck is the black swan fallacy? Tinks. Yeah, that was not good. Um, <laughs> and anyway, he asked, what's the black, black swan fallacy? So, Steve, we will do our best to answer that for you. Now, it's not one I've really heard um, as phrase a particular fallacy, but I actually wrote about this in a way. I did an article called The Problem of Induction, which was published in Philosophy Now, a US, or UK, sorry, UK magazine, okay. um, which I've got on our, our website, a link to it, so, and I'll put a link to this on this, and it's about the problem of induction or inductive reasoning. And the black swan and the... And the the classic um, uh, example of, of inductive reasoning goes that um, basically all the swans I've ever seen are white, therefore all swans are white. And i.e. You, you, um, from what you've seen, you, you make an inductive inference, i.e. you extrapolate, which is a standard scientific reasoning. Now, Karl Popper was the philosopher of science, um, but even David Hume before him, but Karl Popper really was the one who... Uh, attacked inductive reasoning, saying that it's you, you can't use that as a logical basis for um, science because you can never logically prove that because for all you know out there is a black swan and of course there are black swans in Australia. So a European would have only ever seen white swans and thought all swans are white but then come to Australia and that's been falsified. So it's about falsification as a way of doing science. Now there's a lot of background of reading you'd have to do to understand that kind of philosophy of science and some of the... Um, reasoning that, that you can basically buy into inductive reasoning. 
And one of the things is, of course, understanding the difference between logically proving something to be true and, and having a rational basis for believing in, say, inductive reasoning. But my article does talk about that. But the black swan fallacy is where you actually say, logically, therefore, because I haven't seen a black swan, all swans are white, and actually make that, that definitely must be true, as opposed to just saying, to the best of my knowledge, that is true. Yeah, I'd like to add there, Theo, and this is a serious comment, um, uh, there's a common expression which is uh, usually misinterpreted that relates directly to this. Um, you could say, for example, look, the, the black swan is the exception that proves the rule. Now, people these days see prove as meaning validates. Uh, but that, that expression, when it was originally coined, um, the exception that proves the rule, uh, was actually about induction. And it, it was saying, essentially, that if you have a rule that all swans are white and you see a black swan, that exception proves the rule. Uh, proves in the sense of tests the rule. So the exception tests the rule. So when you hear that expression, that's the exception that proves the rule, it doesn't really mean that that exception is so trivial that the rule is true anyway. No, that's right, yeah. It actually means that exception uh, destroys the rule utterly. Mm. Uh, so just um, keep that in mind when you're playing with language yeah. and these expressions. And, are... and that's the point of um, that whole inductive inference, is that what, in shorthand... You, in science, you say, oh, we've done all this experiments, blah, 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 therefore we prove this is true. That's just a shorthand, but really you shouldn't actually use the word prove. You don't ever prove anything. You say, to the best of our knowledge, this is true. Based on our evidence, we can believe in X. Um, so when I used to teach science at high school and I'd be marking students um, practical reports and so on, I'd really get stuck into about not using the word prove um, and say, no, don't use the word prove. Say that um, you know this supports our hypothesis or whatnot, because it's that's a part of being sceptical is to say, to the best of my knowledge, I know this based on these reasons. So again, if you had only ever seen white swans, you would say, to the best of my knowledge, all swans are white, um, based on these observations we've made and explain it, but you would never say, all the swans I've ever seen are white, therefore there are no black swans. That's as a logical statement. So it's only a logical fallacy if you are using it to be as a logical proof. Because you can't, through inductive reasoning, you can never logically prove anything. But you can, through, through inferential reasoning, through inductive reasoning, you can establish good reasons for believing something. Theo and I have been at a conference uh, which was, there was a sprinkling of philosophers of science and historians of science there. And there, there was a kind of a, a discussion on the periphery which um, was sort of reductio ad absurdum, uh, which was uh, along the lines that you can't be sure that if you hurl yourself off a cliff, uh, you're going to crash to your death below. Mm. Because even though every time you've ever seen anything or anybody hurled off a cliff in the past, they've crashed to their death below, um, uh, you, can't, uh, you can't be absolutely 100% certain it's going to happen the next time somebody does it. But in practice, all these philosophers of science who are arguing these fine points, um, I actually felt a, a strong urge to hurl them off a cliff <laughs> yeah. uh, because they were just playing with ideas. They were being um, disingenuous, I yeah, felt, yeah. Uh, by claiming that you could not know anything in advance. 
it, it destroys the meaning of no. I mean, if you don't know that gravity on Earth will kill you if you jump off a 300-foot cliff, you really... There's, the, the knowledge means nothing. Glad you get up in the morning and put your foot on the ground. That, that's yeah. exactly right. And yeah, no, I, these and people annoyed me. Well, that was yeah. I remember that was one session, but I think they also you're trying to use um, different probability theory to try and establish logical proofs as well. But I think all those are bound to failure because the universe is, an in, it, it, for all intents and purposes, an infinite system. So you still have to borrow inductive. It's like the lotto. You know, you, you we understand. The rules because it's a closed system so even though you can use probability it's because there's a certain limit to the number of different options you can end up with but in the universe there's an infinite number of um in the universe there's an infinite number of possibilities for all, even in a closed universe for all intents and purposes there is therefore you can't even use probability but you can make the distinction between a logical belief and a rational belief oh sorry a logical so logical is a deductive argument like um you know, all men are, uh, like, you know, uh, John is a bachelor, therefore he's an unmarried man. By the definition of the word bachelor, it is logical to to know that he is an unmarried man, because that's, you define those terms beforehand. But you can make rational inferences based on evidence. The main issue there is to think about, if you ever say, therefore we can't know it for sure, or therefore this is definitely true, technically you're being fallacious, but if you're just using that in general, ordinary, colloquial English, not a problem. But if you're using it in the context of discussing philosophy or whatever, then you probably shouldn't. Um, you should probably always talk about, to the best of my knowledge, I know this to be true. But, you know, I think it's much of a muchness most of the time. Okay, um, want anything else on that one? No, no that's okay. it. Yeah. Now, I'd just like to, a couple of uh, little, other little updates um, before we finish. We've had a, I've finally gotten my act together and set up so you can actually buy uh, copies of the paperback edition directly from us through like PayPal. Um, it's $20 Australian. Uh, to post overseas, it'll cost you about $18.50. Well, it cost you $18.75, I think, actually, through registered mail. Um, so if you want to do that, you can just contact us through the website um, in, using the contact button, um, and you'll be able to do that. Now, what I just thought we'd do before we sign off is just give you a bit of background about the actual history of the book as well because it's actually a self-published book um, and I thought I'd explain the reasons why we went that uh, route. Well, I thought maybe Dad, you might want to kick that one off for why we a bit of a background, a bit of the history of the well, book. Well, yeah, the, the, the book was originally um, it, it, it was a, um, a project that just expanded incrementally because um, in dealing with my students, my undergraduate students, I found that they, they lacked um, a background knowledge about fallacies and so their essays were suffering as a result. And rather than comment in, in, in detail on each essay and, and say what fallacies they were engaging in, uh, I produced teaching materials which um, supported their, uh, the, the comments I was making about in their essay, essays. And then students asked for more details, more information. Some students became quite enamoured, particularly students with a background in debating and that sort of thing. They felt they'd like to learn more. So, um, I, I, uh, Theo and I got together and talked about um, uh, putting together, putting our heads together, and, and expanding what I, my, some of my teaching notes into what might be an interesting little paperback that uh, would be written for a general reader, but could be used also as a text for my course and other courses at university. 
Um, so it, it wasn't a, an academic book where there's, everything was referenced ten times over, but rather a book which was written to appeal to a reader, um, and a book also that would appeal to a browser in a in a in a bookshop. And so uh, that was self-published, and uh, it it sort of walked off the shelves when we consigned it to various bookshops around Brisbane. Uh, people just browsed and, and bought it off the shelves and that sort of stuff. It was a prescribed text for my students. Um, but, I mean, that, that's the reason why we went to self-publishing route, because if we wanted to get it published it had through to a be paperback, quick. well, we, we needed it in time to, to start the classes, it, it, and it, it had to, to get something quick. published can take yeah. years, if you, even if you get something published. Yeah. So that's one of the reasons we did that. But essentially we've got um, this print run to get rid of, really, um, and so we... So we do want to sell the rest of this print one, yeah, and, um, and, and, and then probably look at what, what, going further you, with it. We're, we're using the existing book as um, part of our portfolio for publishers. So we're we're going to suggest to publishers how we might um, expand the book or, or different ways of treating it, um, and uh, we're contacting publishers because we're not going to self-publish anything else. Uh, that's why we've, we're quite relaxed about making the electronic version available on the web because our, our priority really is to get more and more people thinking more critically yeah. about issues um, because it makes everybody's life easier. Yeah. If, if more and more people are not baffled by bullshit, um, it, it just means that peop- the bullshitters can't get away with as much as they... I used to get yeah, in and, and one of the ways we know to do that is through a bit of humour and engagement. So that's one of the, the things with the book. But also we know the internet, um, you know, people don't like paying for stuff on the internet. So that's why the e-book's there for free for people to use as a resource. But also people do like physical um, paperback books. But, I mean, one the, other, the other thing was we were originally wanted to publish it through Griffith University... Sorry, Woolloomooloo you know, Woolloomooloo. Oh, University. yeah, Woolloomooloo University. Yeah. Uh, Woolloongang. Uh, um, <clears throat> Uh, through Pusshead Pusshead Publishing. Pusshead Publishing. But Pusshead Publishing didn't turn out very... Uh, we had some slight issues with Pusshead, didn't we? Uh, the, the, um, the, the, the university I referred to as Griffith before, which was really not Griffith, Nuts. attempted to steal um, copyright from us and we had the effect, really, of, of uh, making it moribund, so I, I was involved in a lengthy battle over that. But the, the point is that it... it well, it, to, to, be, it, it to, be, to, be, to be fair, it was the commercialisation people, but then the actual, when it got to academic type people, they were like, what the hell are these idiots doing? Yes, yeah, yes. So to be fair, the university as an organisation, well, no, it was the, some idiots there. Yeah, and I, 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 I just I went on a hunger strike and I, yeah. I climbed a tree on, on, our, on my campus and got the media there and, and I shat on... The vice chancellor uh, from that tree, and uh, hurled feces at him. In the end, we were fairly difficult to ignore. Now, the point about the paperback book is, it doesn't look like or feel like a self-published book. It's uh, stitched. I oh, know it was published and properly, through, through properly bound, printing everything. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And it's a good, very good quality book. We didn't just go down to the local office works and just print them out and bind them ourselves. No, it's probably it's a, it's no different than what you would get in any um, through any major publishing company. It's just that in order to get it out there quickly, in order to deal with the the issues of Woolloomooloo, um, Pusshead University, uh, we just did it straight away. But and 
where the future goes, we're not sure with it, but certainly we just enjoy um, what we're doing at the moment. It's just a fun thing to do, and I'm glad people are really engaging with it as well because we love getting feedback about it. And, yeah, it's just it's open at the moment, but we probably should take it further. And I would say that we, we will take it further, and um, we'd, we'd keep any developments that were substantial uh, up on the web so that if people were interested in following it up or if any academics out there were interested in prescribing such a book yeah. as a text, uh, they can use the e-book version. If any of our um, editors any happen to be, uh, any of our listeners happen to be an editor at a publishing company, let us know. Anyone from Penguin? Oh, or a rich philanthropist. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, somebody even now working on their will. Uh, <laughs> Actually, uh, there's this really good website called um, uh, where you can leave your money for when you come back to be, it's called Reincarnation Bank. And when you come back, um, from when you reincarnate, you can go claim your will. I'm going to offer a similar service that's substantially lower premiums than they've got. So if anyone wants, to, if you come back and you prove to me that you're that person, I will give you your money back. So you just have to leave it to me in the first place. It'd be very difficult if you came back as a tapeworm. Well, that was you my plan. I was going to go to the reincarnation bank and take him a tapeworm and go, oh, this is this dude that died. Oh, yeah, so I'm yeah. going to hack their site and find out who's got mm. accounts there. Mm. And they say, no, this is him, this tapeworm, look. And like I put a tattoo on it or something that looks like the person. Yeah. So he proved oh, he, he was a prick. How do you think he knew, made so much money? That's why he came back as a tapeworm. Yeah. Karma. Yeah. Karma will get right. you Karma will. Yeah, karma's a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> Guide to um, spotting fallacies and thinking. Listen to the podcast because each podcast breaks down a different fallacy. And how many of you got up there by now? It must be a big number. Well, I saw that you were uh, working on the zone, and I've been working on my podcast. It'd be number twenty-nine going up. We're getting a bit slack at the moment, um, trying to get them up, uh, but we're doing about once every fortnight, um, and I'm trying to hopefully get them all done before uh, the end of August. That's now I'm just in the car with my father Jeff and we've just been listening to uh, my interview with Richard Saunders from the Skeptic Zone and so I just want to have a bit of a shout out to Richard and say Richard thank you for the interview, it was great fun and if there are any of uh, our listeners, which I'd be very surprised to hear, that don't listen to the Skeptic Zone, can I just say you really should, uh, it's the Australian uh, Skeptical Podcast for Science and Reason. Um, and so, again, thanks, Richard, for the interview. It was great fun. Um, we enjoyed listening to it, didn't we, Dad? Uh, can I just say, Thea, I enjoyed listening to it, and I mean that sincerely. And uh, your comments before about um, getting onto that uh, other sceptic side, I think um, the world of scepticism is immensely enriched by slightly different perspectives and emphases on scepticism, and it's great if people... Uh, listeners to a wide portfolio of uh, podcasts around that area. Yeah, definitely. Yep. So, thanks again, Richard. Um, and one other thing, just want to do a, a uh, shout out to uh, Christian Way what, Wells. I think it is our pronunciation name, Christian, uh, from Austria. And uh, just because he just made a nice donation to us via our donate button on our website. So thanks for that, Christian. Much appreciated. And I've corresponded with him a bit, and he sounds like a good dude. So if I'm ever out in Austria, mate, I'll look you up. If you're ever down under, make sure you look us up. Um, so thanks again, uh, Christian, and thank you to Richard Saunders. So everyone, have a look at uh, the Skeptic Zone at www.skepticzone.tv. Um, and I'll obviously put a link to that on the website as well. 
All right. That's it. That's it for another fortnight slash three weeks because we're so friggin' hopeless, but you had to do your tax, so couldn't get you in any earlier. Yeah, well, my wife had to do my tax and I had to sit and sit next to her and get berated by her. <laughs> yeah, well, so as you're right, you slacker. All right, good to talk to you again, Dad. Good to talk to you, Theo. Always right. good. We'll okay. see you guys next fortnight. So that was a rebroadcast episode of Hunting Humbug 101. For more information about the show and the book, Humbug the Skeptic's Field Guide to Spotting Fallacies and Deceptive Arguments, head to www.skepticsfieldguide.net.